Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and thank you for being with us today at this hour. Now that the pace of apartment sales in Manhattan has swung towards a buyer's market, yes, I did say buyer's market, sellers can expect some lowball offers coming their way. That's been happening. Manhattan buyers unnerved by changes to federal tax laws and an uptick in mortgage interest rates have hit the brakes, according to market observers. Also at this hour, the Upper East Side has been one of the most successful stories in luxury Manhattan real estate amid a mixed time over the last two years. This is due to the Second Avenue subway line, which opened in January of 2017, causing the New York Times to correctly predict at the time a new cachet to addresses on Second Avenue and eastward. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco. And in the news this morning, Uber will move beyond ride-sharing, according to its CEO this week. News, new services will include users being able to buy public transport tickets and hire rental cars or bikes. Uber plans to launch car rental service Uber Rent in San Francisco first, and that's happening later this month with Boston, New Jersey, Portland, Washington, D.C., and New York set to follow. Earlier this week, Uber announced it had acquired New York bike-sharing startup Jump for around $200 million. Young Americans' optimism is waning. For the first time in six decades, they have less consumer confidence than their parents did, according to data from the University of Michigan recently. Rising student debt and increases in the cost of living, particularly housing, are likely key drivers behind the pessimism uh, Americans under 35 are are feeling. This uh, is being reported by MarketWatch. Overall, social mobility in the U.S. is lagging behind other wealthy nations, giving young people less hope that they will lead better lives than their predecessors. Concessions remain high and rents on residential apartments keep sliding in Manhattan, leading to the largest year-over-year decline in net effective rent in the last six and a half years. Median net effective rent dropped 3.8% to 3168 uh, in March, according to several latest rental reports, though lower than February, the share of new rental transactions with concessions hit 41.7 percent, the largest, uh, the third largest uh, level since uh, the past seven and a half years. Wow, that's a that's a long time. Seven and a half years, the report states. Extel Development just scooped up another low-rise apartment building in Yorkville across the street from its 20-story condominium project. The Gary Barnett-led firm shelled out $16 million for 1637 First Avenue, a four story 16-unit building, according to records. The low-rise property is one of five adjacent apartment buildings on the north side of 86th Street that Extel has collected with plans to transfer the air rights to its development at 350 East 86th Street, a project anchored by a former Gristiti supermarket. Extel purchased that supermarket site for $92 million in 2016. After collective uh, collecting five buildings across the street, Extel currently is offering those properties as a development site that could fetch up to $120 million or $700 per billable foot. That according to Real Estate Alert. The site at 351 East 86th Street could hold a 172,000 square foot residential building. In the borough of Queens, it dominated the list the, the list of New York's biggest projects in March. The borough took six of the top ten spots on the list, three of which were part of a new large mixed-use complex replacing a derelict shopping center in Far Rockaway. The others were located in Springfield Gardens, Astoria, and Forest Hills. 
However, the top two projects planned for New York City last month were both located in Brooklyn. The largest project was a 446-unit development out on Coney Island, while the second largest was a 330-unit project in Crown Heights. Brooklyn and Manhattan had two spots each on the March list, but Bronx and Staten Island didn't have any. Rachel Ray has relisted her Southampton home with nearly $300,000 chopped off her last asking price. The celebrity chef put her Southampton home back on the market for $4.69 million, a couple hundred thousand dollars short of what she'd originally listed it for at four point nine back in August of last year. This according to the New York Post. A 3,000-square-foot home has three bedrooms, five bathrooms, two fireplaces, and a chef's kitchen. Buyers can also buy the furnishings if they choose. The listing is being handled by Sotheby's International Realty in Southampton. And one of Street Easy's most outspoken critics is taking on Zillow with a new rental platform in New York City. Our own Phil Horrigan, who launched LeaseBreak.com in 2013, is rolling out a comprehensive and free rental marketplace known as Freely.com announced last week. Horrigan is not pulling the plug, however, on LeaseBreak.com, a popular website that connects tenants looking for renters to take over their lease, but Freely will target a broader swath of the market, the former Corcoran uh, Group agent. Uh, and regular panel member here at Good Morning New York said he decided to launch the site as a matter of principle after Street Easy began charging agents $3 a day to post listings last year. I don't fault any broker for putting a listing on Street Easy, he said, but he added that doesn't mean they should have to. Bravo, Phil. And he will be here in a few minutes, and we will continue that conversation when he gets here. So I want to say good morning to our panel this morning. Good morning. Good morning. morning. I'm here today with, as I said, Phil will be joining us soon, Matthew Cohen from CORE, uh, Perul Brumbath from Compass, Ari Harkov from uh, Halstead, and John Harrison is joining us today for the first time from CORE Real Estate. Good morning to John. Thank you. Good morning. So uh, just a couple of announcements here. Matt yesterday informed us via social media that he is the first and the youngest agent in New York City to achieve $100 million in real estate sales. And I wanted to say publicly, go Maddie. Wow, fantastic. And congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow, didn't expect that. <laughs> well, so, Seriously. Well, so how does it feel? Um, I I really don't remember what waking up past six looks like. <laughs> that's that's probably the biggest thing. <laughs> I remember those days of waking up after nine on the weekend. That was something. I should have I should have held on to that. No, I, I say that because I remember way back when, you know, that was a huge number. It still is a huge number, but it took me a very long time to do that. You're in the business not all that many years. And so, you know, really congratulations and hats off. Also to Ari, top team in all of Halstead, top 1%, I think, the Harkoff-Lewis team at Halstead Real Estate. We heard that yesterday at our annual meeting. Congratulations to you. Thank Amazing. you very much. Appreciate it. Congratulations. And I just wanted to ask you, because I remember when, I mean, he was Rookie of the Year, I mean, it seems like yesterday, not so many years ago, back at Halstead. And so your progression, as I've watched through the years, has been absolutely tremendous and really amazing. Your team is very big. Tell us briefly how you get from point A, a brand new to point where you are today, because we all know in this business, and you and I were chatting a little bit yesterday about how the market can really, you know, delay us and deter us. So, what is what's the magic formula? Uh, I don't know if there is a magic formula, but I would say uh, a couple things. I mean, 
focus long-term, treat people the right way, treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Um, building a team has really been about building systems and thinking about how we replicate what we do and figuring out how we can free ourselves in terms of the time that we spend every day doing certain activities so that we can free those of us who are better at sales and better at prospecting to do more of that and those of us who are more administratively inclined or more marketing inclined to do more of that and that's how we've built the 12-person team. Um, and it's just kind of getting up and doing the same thing over and over again every day and keeping your head up and your chin up. I've said this a million times, so apologies for repeating it, but you know, it's the famous Barbara Corcoran quote, the difference between the good agent and the great agent is how quickly you bounce back from rejection. So we get rejection every day. It's just you sort of like let it drag you down or you bounce back up and you have an optimistic forward thinking attitude and you move forward. Um, really what we do, you could probably take a crayon and draw it out on a napkin very quickly. It's not that complex, but it's very difficult to execute day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. And it's interesting if you look at like the Wall Street Journal, the top list of agents across the country, year in and year out, you see the same agents, yeah. the same the agents, biggest, the same groups. The biggest complaint that I <clears throat> continually hear from brokers, I've been doing this for 12 years now, um, and you know, it's like you meet all your colleagues and friends and people who are building teams or have built teams. And the common thread that you always hear is how do you keep, especially millennials, to keep wanting to stay on your team versus a year in feel like, I can do this on my own and want to jump ship. What has been your formula there? Because I think that's a, that's a really that's a interesting question. question. Very good question. Um, retainment uh, is one of the biggest challenges in building a team. Yeah. And one of the things that you find is, so I think there's a, there's a business um, statistic here. I don't remember, I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically like the equivalent of having to rehire someone is like 2x their salary in terms of the cost of downtime and training time and what have you. It's Absolutely. very painful. Um, thankfully, knock on whatever, we've <laughs> let go of slash had very few people leave. Um, one of the things that we do is I'm monitoring things on a daily and weekly basis. So like we do weekly huddles where we meet and go through what everybody's doing. We do daily huddles and go through what people are doing. We do quarterly reviews where we sit down in a room quietly away from everyone and people can express what's going on. Um, and then I would say, but the biggest thing beyond all of that is you can kind of put whatever you want on a piece of paper. It's about the culture and building yeah, a culture absolutely. that people want to be involved in. And I would tell you, I mean, I think this is maybe obvious, but I'll say it anyway. It's not about the money. It's not paying no. people more money. No. It's making people happy in an environment that they want to work in. Um, and my favorite thing is when I see two or three other people on the team collaborating and I'm not involved, but they're mm -hmm. working together and that's amazing. Um, but it's not easy and it takes years to build. Mm -hmm. it's, um, do, you, yeah. do you do anything in, in particular that's very culturally driven? Like this is what I do so that I can build a strong culture? Yes, absolutely. So we do um, Monday morning team meetings every Monday yep. and I have a different member of the team contribute every Monday so they can contribute quotes so they can contribute an article they're reading or yoga they're working on or whatever it is. Oh. Um, we do a holiday outing. We do a summer outing. We do, right now we're doing a team book club. So I'm oh, wow. signing a book That's every great. month and we're all reading it and then we're having a lunch and talking about like what did we learn from it and what are our takeaways and how can it impact like our life and our business. Um, and I take feedback. Like sometimes people are like, Ari, like this meeting agenda, like this sucks. Like I don't want this. Like <laughs> it should be better and you should do this. And then I take their feedback and we kind of evolve. And what do you look for when you're interviewing new prospects? I look for aptitude and attitude. Yeah. I don't care about skill set. I don't care about um, uh, experience. I care about aptitude and attitude because those are the two things I've learned I can teach. And they have to Amazing. fit. They have to fit. It doesn't yes. matter what their success is. They have no, to fit. Because not everyone in this business does fit. No, no, Correct. no. And, and, and that's probably the biggest thing. So just a quick question to you while we just are still on this topic. So, sure. you know, you do have a very large team. And so does it? do you feel like it takes a, a – 
a lot of time away from your, you know, real estate stuff when you're, you know, worrying about, you know, managing the team and and figuring out what everybody's doing, motivating people, inspiring people, uh, as you say. Does it take time away from what you, in your heart, like the most, like all of us, and that's the actual art of real estate? Sure, it's a great question. Um, if you have the right systems in place, the answer is no. If you don't, the answer is yes. So I would say I'm probably spending about an hour or two a day on managing the team in some capacity. Uh, and the rest of my day is spent prospecting and selling and doing what everybody does as a real estate broker. Um, but it took years to get there to build the systems. Like, right. for example, I have three full-time assistants. One runs operations. I meet with her every morning. She manages the other two. Right. And it's not that I don't interact with the other two, but I don't manage their day-to-day. So she manages them. Right. The sales agents were down to like one weekly huddle where I sit down with them for 15 minutes, go through like, what are they working on? What are their deals? What do they need help with, et cetera? That's once a week. It used to be once a day. Um, so we've kind of built that over time. Um, and then I have methods like I, we have um, Excel sheets that we call tracking lists and that's how people track their business. And I can go into the system anytime and see like, you know, what is Brent doing and what does he have and where is he with this buyer? And I don't have to like call him and meet with him. It's a quick thing that I can just check in the system. And whether people realize it or not, when you're managing something like that, it's helping yourself too. Like obviously, oh yeah, because yeah, I mean, like Nikki Field always said, she, you know, when she manages her own team, it's almost like teaching a class. It's like, how great is it to teach a class? Because you're almost teaching yourself as well. You were always learning in this business, so you and might as well remind yourself. You're going to benefit by whatever you teach, by the way. So it does come right back to you as the team leader or whatever. Um, so I, I get that. And it's really, it's not and easy I, to do. And I like your retainment comment, because I think what Parole said, you know, it's if you put the right things out there, especially in our business, like you put, you know, just the right practice doing things the right way, doing things the genuine way. You know, if people choose to lose your or not lose your team but leave your team for that let them go like that's if you have the right practices it'll always be the right thing agreed agreed and one of the fun things about this business is like everybody's different and there are a lot of different ways to do it and be successful I'm not one way you're one way like we're all different so my team has a certain culture like the Eklund team has a different culture Sarah Hunt's team has a different culture they're not all wrong they're just different so certain people will fit with us and not fit with others well that that's back to the making sure that people whoever is coming onto your team does fit we've got to leave it there come back after the break we're going to talk about a potential uh, building strike here in New York City this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel we will be right back don't go away Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. 
Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. We're back with Bill Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Matthew Cohen from CORE, Baru Brombat from Compass, Ari Hawkoff from Halstead Real Estate, and John Harrison joining us today from CORE Real Estate here in Manhattan as well. All right, so let's move on. The owners of thousands of apartment buildings, including many co-ops and condo boards, have begun negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement with 31,000 building service workers represented by one of the city's largest unions, a four-year contract between the Realty Advisory Board and Labor Relations, or RAB, which represents the property owners and the Service Employees International Union 32BJ is set to expire April 20th. The two sides will hash out wages and benefits for doormen, supers, resident managers, handy persons, concierge, and porters. There hasn't been a strike or a building personnel strike here in this town since 1991. So my question to all of you guys as brokers, what happens to these buildings and to all of us who live in these buildings should a strike happen this coming Friday? And it looks like it may. So I had a conversation with um, with an employee within a building just this last week. And the way this was presented was that there were concerns, some rumblings within the building. One, because he wasn't sure if the majority of the money that was being fought for was actually going to the employees, number one. Number two, it's Age kind of a problem. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's kind of a horrible time for this because I'm there are already enough people that are sort of upset about the shift in salt, you know, the tax implications. So if you look at the rising cost of maintenance within a building, as well as the loss of some of the depreciation, it becomes an issue. I also, I've been a member of unions before, so I get the need for it. And I absolutely think that the employees within buildings should continue to have um, great jobs. I do think that they're often underpaid. So I'm not even suggesting that, you know, we shouldn't pay them more. I just like overall, it has been a bit of an issue. Uh, and that's even coming from some people that that work within the within that particular union. I mean, I wow, I'm hearing myself a little bit. Um, I you sound great. <laughs> coming from someone who I, I partly grew up in a doorman building, um, I lived in a doorman building for a long time until I bought. Thankfully, with no no service, I love it. Um, so I don't have to deal with this. But um, they doorman porters, you know, um, they all make what they make. They deserve so much more. I mean, Absolutely. these people, supers, they are constantly there for people. Um, they are grossly underpaid, in my opinion. So I'm definitely for what they are fighting for. At the same time, I think that this something like this just creates transparency as well in the marketplace for not only what's going on in the rental market. I mean, if, you know, certain buildings, obviously, I don't want to generalize, but I do think that certain buildings that are creating unions or, or not unions, but um, union fights towards, you know, better pay – 
It might speak about the landlord as well. Um, you know, I, I think if you're someone out there looking to rent a place or buy a place, you know, look into management companies, look into who these landlords are, do your research. I, I sometimes find that, you know, landlords like Abrodsky is a really good landlord who treats their employees correctly. And if they treat their employees correctly, they're most likely going to treat their tenants well as well. But let me ask you something. So let's, 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 um, let's say it happens on Friday. So if it does happen, where do tenants in the building, co-op owners, condo owners, rental tenants, what happens? Well, there's a chance that this has been averted. From right. what I understand, there are some, you know, some of the negotiation has kind of come to fruition. But the reality is that there are, I mean, I know people right now that are scheduled to move in and move out uh, of their condos because they have closings happening next week. Right. So this was, I, you know, I had one client that brought this up that asked like, what happens if, if my tenant doesn't move out right. and there's this strike and like, are they supposed to just man the elevators themselves? I mean, like those are some of the implications that are easy to forget about until you're in the middle of the transaction. We got a, we got a notice in my building uh, last week and then we got another one yesterday, I think when I came home that says, you know, they're looking for volunteers in the building to man the door, you know, 24 by 7 including weekends and so it's kind of like okay do I want to do that I mean well it could, it could, I mean I will if I need to help my 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 compadres on the building but it's kind of like wow that's hard you know? it um it also really affects brokers because it could mean that your open house is not going to happen right um, we had a I had an owner that told us hey we may not have it an open house this weekend because sometimes you have to have escorts, you have to have some buildings policing. I've already been told that maybe not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there could be real, you know, uh, consequences for brokers as well. Yeah. I've already been told that in two of the buildings that I work in almost every day. And it's like, well, you might not be able to be here on Sunday unless you have somebody opening and closing the door down here. So that's another added, you know, responsibility or task to, to get your open house going. But it's also trash. It's everything else. It's, it's general maintenance issues. That's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, 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 if this happens, the reality will hit people a lot faster. A lot of people that didn't even realize this was coming, all yeah. of a sudden they'll start to realize what's happening. Like what, you know, all yeah. of the buildings. Why are, is the trash piling up? <laughs> yeah. Well, the trash piles up anyway. You know, yesterday with the pouring down rain, the trash was kind of uh, flowing all over the street. And I'm thinking, this is insane. I can't get over it. But anyway, we at the top of the show, Phil, were talking about you and how you launched <laughs> Freely. Oh, Give cool. us an update from last week's um, good uh, announcement. So Oh, cool. Sorry, sorry, I wasn't here. I was dropping my daughter off. Well, it was that's one cool. of the new news items. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, it's been awesome. Like, I can't tell you how much support I've had from people, like especially brokers. And people are sharing the pledge. So that's what I'm going to just keep on encouraging you to do because I want to make sure that this is four a four-point pledge. Diff- yeah, the four-point pledge. This is about transparency. This is about a free-flowing marketplace. Like this is, it's about the purity of the real estate marketplace. So that's how I, that's how I, that's what I really believe. And I believe that that's being destroyed. And it's really sad to watch. I've been here for, for 14 years. And so I want to make sure everyone knows, sure, there's going to be this great marketplace, but it's also based on real principles that I will, I I mean, I will honor those forever. Like it's a serious, serious thing. So keep on sharing the pledge. That's what's happening now. In the next few weeks, we're going to roll out the beta version of the website it's going to start as a rental website. If things go well, we're going to eventually get into sales. And the way I look at it, we're going to protect New York City real estate forever and the integrity of the real estate marketplace. That's you know what they say, this is New York City. What is forever? <laughs> but we trust you. Forever. Because <laughs> well, I know what a New York minute is. But on that point, Vince, you know, that's the I'm reason. just kidding you. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, but, but it really is important because I, as an agent, when I was – 
Well, first of all, I didn't even want to do Freely. My idea was I'm going to take a lease break. It was doing really well. I'm going to go national. And then last year happened. And I was like, man, like I, I just, it was eating me. It was eating me like for, for days, my stomach was bothering me. I felt like I someone think I punched me in the stomach. I noticed that on Facebook. You probably <laughs> noticed that on Facebook. So, so yeah, really. I, that's when I decided to just, to do something about it. And the reason why one of the points of the pledge is to never sell to Zillow or Street Easy, it's because I want to make sure it's in writing. It's out there. I'm telling all my friends that I, I could never go back on that. Like, because as an agent, the last thing I would want is for people right. to invest in a new marketplace. Let's well, call integrity. And then for something to happen. And that's why, like, I was joking with my my wife. This is like months and months ago. And she's like, well, obviously, if they offered you a billion dollars. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like, it it doesn't matter if it's it's a trillion dollars. Like, there's no, you have to know when to say no, no matter what, you know. And uh, and I should say one other thing. I, I recently had a conversation with an entrepreneur. And they said to me, because they have, a, a, they're working on something as well. And they said, oh, man, I, I really hope Zillow doesn't make me an offer I can't refuse because, you know, I, I'd hate to have to sell to them. Like, I, I don't want to ruin my product. And to me, that's the problem. Like, you can't have that. You have to say no matter what. It doesn't matter. The principles come first. If that's your business plan and that's you your know? principle, that everything else so, is driven from that. I agree with right. you. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you for that. We'll keep asking for <laughs> updates as we go along. And we're eagerly, eagerly awaiting that website. Moving on. As I said at the top of the show, you know, uh, it is, I, I'm stating it's an absolute buyer's market. All this transitional stuff has kind of gone by the wayside. We are effectively in a, in a buyer's market. <clears throat> so our next topic is pricing. How important is pricing in this market? In pricing an apartment for new listings, is it, it is wise to think about your approach before you take the meeting. So in other words, before you go to a seller, whether you know them or not, whether you've sold in the building or not, it's always wise, I think. And some people don't. They just go shooting off the cuff. You need to start thinking about what your conversation is going to be because every conversation I ever have with a seller is never easy. And it's always, I want this. And I say, we, we need to get that. So one of the things we say is, what is the history of sales in the building? So why is that so important when you're discussing with sellers, the history of the sales in that building? Because they're definitely aware of what things are listed at. Uh, and they see they see their neighboring apartment <clears throat> comes online at you know some exorbitant price. They're watching that. They know. So that's so understanding that sellers are at least somewhat sophisticated, they're watching the market to a degree. You need to know, oh gosh, that you know they want. I know what they're going to ask for me to price this at. Their neighbor's apartment is overpriced. That's going to be problematic. You need to know that, and that's the reason why you can't just look at what listings are, but you have to look at where things actually recorded and their closings. I was going to one thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I always say to sellers, you know, every building in the city is sort of its own sub-market. And so, like, for example, we had a, a sale recently in a building where there had been a lot of studio and one-bedroom sales. And it was a combination unit. It's a beautiful apartment, beautifully done. But what we found from the market was that no one had ever paid this kind of price in this building. And the absolute price was just too high for the building. The building couldn't support a number at that level. It wasn't that the apartment was priced incorrectly, but that building in that sub-market was a studio and one-bedroom buyer, the quality of the building, the entry, the lobby, the feel. It was it was at that level. It was a million-dollar building, not a $2 million building. So you have to understand that every building is its kind of own sub-market and functions in its own way. And on top of that, I always tell sellers when we are not only not disagreeing about price, but speaking constructively about it, I always say that if the building or the comps don't support what we're trying to do, then the appraisal is not going to go through. Mm-hmm, like Then right. there's going to be an issue with the mortgage. That's always a really good thing to bank on because um, it's matter of fact. And and you don't want something like that in, in especially most of these buildings that get 
mortgages more than cash purchases. You don't want something like that getting in the also, way. Also, as I'm t- giving this, the prospective seller uh, my valuation, what I do very clearly is I spell out the low, the mid, and the high possibilities mm-hmm. of where we could price this and what the pros and cons for this specific <clears throat> unit are. I also take in um, a visual of apartments that are priced either slightly below or slightly above or sold very recently and then point out, even if it's just in person, I mean, I'll either take an iPad or what whatnot and I'll say, look, you know, this building that's two doors down from you, you're going to ask me and say, why is this priced at 2.5, whereas you're telling me to price at 199 or whatever. And it's because it's got these pre-war details. It's got this. But I will logically also explain out to them sort of why that dif- distinction is part of the market space that we work in. And I think that getting them to be an educated seller and understanding the variables and then allowing them to help you make the choice is a really good direction versus sort of digging in your heels saying this is absolutely the number you should work with. And I want to make just one last comment on that one before we go to break. You know, I'm, I'm speaking tomorrow at a New York City Expo here. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is um, we are in, I think, multiple different markets here in New York City. I don't think we are just absolutely. in one market. It's, it's, it's right. depending on price point. It's depending on neighborhoods. It's depending on borough or neighborhoods in borough. So I can't really say that we are in a specific defined you know, marketplace. And basically, you know, there are still some bidding wars. There are still some people paying over asking price in some locations. And then there are apartments that in other locations are hanging on the market or sitting on the market for, you know, weeks and days and months at a time. So if we understand where we are as agents in this ever moving market, but in multiple markets, and I have to tell you something, after 16 years of doing this, I've never seen this kind of multiple marketplace all over. It's either one way or another way. Well, you know with, what the with, mo- with that, we are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. We have to take a break. This is Good Morning New York. We will continue on the other side of the break, and Perul gets the first word. Don't go away. <laughs> Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. We're back with Phil and Matthew and Perul and Ari and John. So I wanted to just continue a few other points on the pricing stuff. So, in addition to making sure that we have the comps in the building or like apartments in the building comped right for our sellers 
It's also important that we look at the history of apartments in the neighborhood. And you, we usually take like a five-block radius, sometimes a six-block radius, depending on where we are, because it's not only about, you know, that particular building, because, for example, you might not have sold something in that building or something wasn't listed for two years, and that happens sometimes. So it's more than just that building. In a very volatile building, uh, where I seem to work, where there's listings all the time, that's good, but you also need to look outside um, at other places. Also, look at the sold comps and not just active on market because active on market could be any price you want to put on it, right? right. Or what did it actually mm-hmm. sell for and what did it actually close for? Contract price and closing price, important. And always look at apartments um, if they were in contract and expired. Why did something mm-hmm. expire or be taken off the market, temp off market, permanently off the market? Maybe it was priced too high. Maybe that's why it didn't sell. And a couple of us on this show um, always talk about how we mentor agents. So uh, one of the big things that I found recently when I've been mentoring a few people, um, I actually just did a pitch with one of them. When we were prepping for it, you know, we were looking at the comps in the last six months. And because I always try and stay within those parameters parameters. I never try and go outside of that. Um, I just think the market fluctuates too much. But he said to me, you know, oh, well, this line sold for this amount, you know, so we should obviously add like, I don't know, a two or 3% increase to what we're doing. And I was like, well, in the past, I would have agreed with you. But I think in the marketplace that we're in, I almost find that if you have a direct comp from a few months ago, that not only is it going to be the same, obviously, given the floor and certain details of renovations, but I find that it might even be a decrease. You know, and I think people need to understand that more when they're talking to their sellers and be more um, transparent about it and honest with it. Because the worst thing you could do is tell a seller the wrong thing um, in terms of price and then you get it and then you fail with it and you have to explain yourself. Well, that that's that's correct. And and how many times do apartments, as I said a little while ago, how many times do apartments linger on the market for weeks and months, and you try and make your seller understand, and we all go through this, and we all have at least once a week a reason to speak to one of our sellers about a price decrease. And in these days, uh, it, that even applies to new development condo sales, uh, talking to developers and sponsors, because they are a little bit off the market times, too. So. Vince, one thing that's not on your list, I agree with everything on the list, but there's one final step that I do is I look at if you're a buyer from the buyer's perspective and you have, say, $2 million, what are you looking at? Because people forget to do that. And that's how we really try to get to that price point that you're going to set, that you're going to add, the asking price. That's how you help. Like, for example, let's just say you're thinking of, should I list it at $275 million or $3 million? Well, if it turns out there's nothing on the market under $3 million, that may give you, you know, an idea. Edge. Yeah, you may give you a little edge. <clears throat> you may want to go, you know what, I, I have a little more confidence I could list it a little higher. Anyway, I always do that as a final step because it sometimes reveals some things that you wouldn't be, you know, thinking about from the buyer's perspective. But sometimes that $25,000 makes a difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's all psychological. I think it's... I was going to add, I mean, I think as an industry, we have to sort of elevate the way that we look at comps and numbers as a whole. Like, for example, so me personally and for our team, I will never say verbally a single number in initial meeting with a seller, ever. I don't give them comps. I don't give them numbers. I don't say anything. We have to see the property, go back, study the comps, look at the low, medium, and high, look at the range, look at what's going on, look at the competition. It's a thoughtful thought provoking exercise and I think as an industry we too much shoot from the hip I, think, I mean I was on the phone the other day with a seller it's a small one bedroom in East Williamsburg and we think it's worth about $700,000 and he had an agent come in and say 800 huge difference so I said to him what comps did that agent provide what data did they provide to show you that they think it's worth 800 nothing 
literally right. nothing. Not a comp, not a spreadsheet, not a like nothing. And shame on us as an industry, but because what happens is that goes on at 800, it doesn't sell, they reduce to 775, they reduce to 750, they end up selling for 725 or 700, and then buyers say, how come listings are sitting on the market? How come everything has a down arrow next to it? How come the market is softening? The market isn't necessarily softening, it's just bad pricing. Thank you for that, and that's exactly where I wanted to get with this, and that's when I said at the start that you have to have some kind of an intelligent conversation with your seller before you even... You know, give a price. And I agree with Ari. <laughs> I never, ever go or leave a first meeting with here are the comps and here's what I think the price should be. I let them think about my my conversation. I go back and think about my conversation. That's exactly what I do. And I have to tell you something. More than not, it works because if you let them see how you're really intelligently trying to give them the right analysis and the right numbers, you're not just picking a number out of the air because they want it, you want it, the market wants it. No, it doesn't work that way. And the elephant in the room on this conversation is ultimately why why is there such a disparity in good pricing? Yeah. And it comes down to two things. One variable is fear. Brokers are afraid that if they give that if I am the person who gives the lower right. comp or lower number that we ought to list on, whether it's the first meeting or the third one, um, that they will then give the listing to the broker who randomly came up with the eight hundred thousand dollar mark because ultimately sellers are focused on the number. Right. To count combat that, I think that ultimately, I mean, my my analysis on the last two elections is that it didn't matter whether it was good or bad. The mm. president got elected president because he came off, off as being more authentic than than his competitor. And ultimately, we have to trust other people and sellers that authenticity does speak. And if it doesn't speak to this particular person, do you really want to be working with that I seller? I agree anyway? with you on authenticity, but I don't know about the last <laughs> and, one. Well, I, I, well, uh, I should not have used that as an example. <laughs> I think part okay. of that is, is narrowing in on, on the danger <laughs> and actually sharing this with your potential clients, the danger of overpricing something. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because if you can plant that seed, yes. it is, it's a lot harder to underprice. If you have something even slightly below where it goes. I've I've had a number of deals that have sprouted up, but if it's overpriced, then it could sit there longer because everyone's going to shop. So and I typically ask if if they tell me a price, we want this to be 3.5 million. I'll ask, okay, is it more important that you get 3.5 million or is it more important that you sell it in today's market, whatever today will bear? Because if it's if it's if it's got to be the price, let's talk about the time frame. Like maybe we that's right. <laughs> Seriously, I've had that comfort. Like maybe we wait a year and a half. And the market's down twenty percent. Well, what, do what do you mean? <laughs> like yeah, because it could be longer than that. And then finally, they they typically say, well, I mean, we'd like three and a half, but we want whatever the market can bear today. I take. Oh, to have- I, I was also going to say just to complete the loop. I said two things. Right. The second is when a broker is not educated well enough about that specific building or neighborhood mm-hmm. or property, or sometimes actually I've had a specific building 404 Park, Park Avenue South doesn't necessarily have that many comps right around it within any block radius that can really compare very some, well. Some are very difficult and to anybody count. who looks at that building is also considering buildings, specific buildings in other neighborhoods. Yeah. So you have to be cognizant enough to sort of know how to, how to really understand the market and price. And these are the two drivers as to why there is such a disparity in good pricing. <clears throat> and I just to give agents... I just want to take, take Ari's point even further. I would highly suggest as agents, you don't <clears throat> prejudice yourself as to what you think the price is. Let the data surprise you because I've been surprised many, many mm-hmm. times. You come in and if you have a gut, you will subconsciously, unfortunately, rationalize what that gut is with the comps. I do. You, you have have to let the data surprise you. Come in with a blank slate. 
the best you can. And if you're on a team, challenge each other. Don't come in with, I think it's probably this. Do not have that. Do you, I'm tr- trust me on this one. But I so want to point out one I, thing that John said um, before, and that's, you know, sometimes the strategy should be, you know, maybe you want to price it just a little bit because that will get bid up. That will look attractive to the buyers on the marketplace versus starting out at your tippity top and buyers saying, oh, that's not going to be, that's not going to work and I'm not going to do it. Matthew, go but ahead. But when you do that, you really need to manage seller's expectations well, that if you pro- price it a little under, you might not get the results you were looking for like it is a risk and people need to know that and because always, you don't want them right. disappointed if it doesn't bid up and I, I always, always find that and I always say that's 100% correct and I always say you don't have to take the offer if you don't like exactly. it but not getting a higher offer whatever or the strategy didn't work you don't have to take it so what, it, period what I was you're not bound s- by anything what I was going to say is just to give agents and brokers out there a different perspective um, I actually do like to have an around number when I go on a pitch I I would never, you know, no offense for you guys. You guys are amazing. So um, we all are have different practices. Um, I actually like to have a range. You know, I used to be an iBanker. One of my favorite things is pitching with other iBankers who are, you know, as sellers and iBanker, we get the stats. Like we get the analytical side. We understand where we're both coming from. Um, it's then talking about the emotional side of the renovations of the apartment, of the energy of the apartment, things like that. But I think if you can, you know, if you can always know not to have an exact number, Number, but either have a range, like I always give myself a little bit of a range depending on what the condition of the apartment is in or what the timing is like in the market. If it's, you know, just after Labor Day or if it's, you know, um, dead in the summer, like things like that obviously factor in. Um, so always try and have an around or a range if you are going to give a number to the seller or if the seller really requests one. All right, let's move on. We have a couple of minutes left to the segment. Everyone wants amenities or at least developers seem to think they do. New York City buildings, especially New ones are packed with frills like roof decks, gyms, co-working spaces, wine cellars in some cases, concierge services and uh, for the well-heeled. But what amenities in these buildings do buyers really truly crave? When you're out there working with condo buyers, either new developments or sort of new developments where there are amenities, what do they really want the most? And are they telling you the truth? I don't want any. <laughs> I don't want any. I mean, period, yeah, me. I mean, if you look at a lot of the buildings actually that are selling the best right now, they're the buildings that actually have very limited streamlined amenities, but they have cool features aesthetically, and that's what buyers are really gravitating to. If you look at the developments right now that are selling well, they have unique characteristics. In many cases, they're conversions rather than ground up. They have exposed beams and brick, and they're on beautiful cobblestone streets. And I don't think the amenities are as important as the developers think they are for the average buyer. Do you think Do you think people think that amenities raise the common charges every month and yes, therefore if they can yes, forfeit that? And I've had many buyers to say to me, <clears throat> I don't want to pay for that. I don't value it and I'm probably not going to use it very much. I'd rather get a bigger apartment and pay lower That's common charges. And, and, and I'd rather join Equinox anyway. Right, I can pay people. Yeah. for my Equinox right? if the I need it. The only caveat right. to that I think is location. So <clears throat> if you have a, if the building is further away from subways or kind of in a remote, yeah. a more kind of remote from from a lot of the amenities where it would be a very long walk or a lot more inconvenient to get to these things, then amenities become an important piece of yeah. the puzzle. I always right. think you have practical amenities and I always think you have the wow amenities. You know, I find that people really love and and a lot of agents forget this amenity, but people love storage. Like whether they realize it or well, not, they truly I cherish storage. That an amenity. I think but, that's a necessity. Too. Okay, fine. So and then outside of that I would say gym, you know, a lot of people really 
when they're living somewhere, they forget the days where it's pouring like yesterday or it's snowing and they're like, it's so nice to have something where I don't have to leave my building. Um, but then I, I also, I sell a lot in one big building up in Harlem and, you know, there's a pool. And, and so every time I show it, even if people don't swim, they're like, wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So then there's the wow. Man. I don't want to smell chlorine every day. Anyway, we have to take a break. We are live from Glasgow Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York on the, on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will continue on the other side of the break. Please don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back with Phil Horrigan, Matthew Cohen, Baruch Rumbat, Ari Harkov, and John Harrison. Uh, And once again, congratulations to both Matt and Ari for their achievements at their companies this week. Really, really great guys. Anyway, New Yorkers are very loyal. Some might even say possessive when it comes to their stores, but proximity matters. So when it comes to Fairway, a homegrown grocery chain with a deep selection and Trader Joe's, a German-owned cut-rate supermarket conglomerate, each with limited locations in the five boroughs, opinions are easy, not so easy to come by, and sometimes they're deeply held. We asked a handful of New Yorkers, which would you prefer, Trader Joe's or Fairway? 
in your in your daily grocery shopping, you know, endeavors. I have a feeling. And I we I asked this <laughs> and I asked this for a reason. But go ahead. I have a feeling. so um I grew up on 70th and West End near the fairway, not so far so from I the fairway on the Upper there. West. Right. Um and now I live in Chelsea near the Trader Joe's in Chelsea and I have a strange feeling given the way New Yorkers feel about the lines at Trader Joe's that they're going to choose fairway. I hate the lines at both, but Trader Joe's is a little obscene. I walk into Trader Joe's sometimes. It's like if you go and the it's wrong right, way, you're having no, an accident. No, 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 like right, right when you walk in, you hit that line, and I'm like, I, I, I will cook. Like, like, I, like, this is ridiculous. When my wife and I have gone, we've been like, all right, look, as soon as we get there, one of us Which is one? already Which one? in line. Trader Joe's? Trader Joe's, no. yeah. One of us is already in line. <laughs> I think that some of it has to do with where the person's from. So if you grew up in New York, I think you're going to be much more inclined to be drawn to, to Fairway. Um, it's been around since 1933, but a lot of people that have moved in from elsewhere, they like the pricing and some of the stuff they have at Trader Joe's. It just, like, we love Trader Joe's, but you can't get everything there. All right, so, so are you saying Trader Joe's or Fairway? Fairway, but I also, wait, I also think that for older New Yorkers, um, you know, and people who are from here, I, I think that people still really love places like Citarella's and Christie's, like, my family, my family's whole thing, yeah, and Zabar's, oh my god, the best. Like, well, my, Zabar's is my favorite, but like, we're talking about the other My family <laughs> was all, my family was split between the Upper East, Upper West, like the Upper East ones at a certain time were very snobby, and they'd go to Citarella's, and then us more down-to-earth I ones would go to Christie's, and now that I live next to Gracidis and I go every day my snobby side of the family is like ah, how dare you and I'm just like it's really good like and it's expensive I mean I don't know what people think Gracidis is very expensive is that an option <laughs> I, I, I just started using that two weeks ago amazing, this, right? the last snowstorm I was yeah. like whoa this is really great my there's goodness. that great Silicon Valley episode where the guy goes to the grocery store and every single person mm-hmm. in there is an Instacart shopper yeah. no one's oh, actually yeah. shopping uh, for themselves yeah. Yeah. like that's the future do you know what I like about Instacart yeah. you have a personal shopper yeah. and he or she will text you and say well the, we, the, yeah, we were, we're out, out of this, this item. Would what you is? want this one? And how about this? Or then, then he said to me, mm-hmm. the last one, he's, I'll, I'll send you a picture of what it looks like. And I'm thinking, Wow. Okay. Vince, Vince it's a snowstorm, <laughs> and I'm sitting on my sofa with the dog and, and a cup of coffee, and I'm like, Okay, Will I'll, FaceTime take, with you? I'll take that <laughs> one. No, no, no. I was not camera ready for that. Is it much more expensive? Is it much more expensive? It's a small fee for it, but you know what? In the snow, well, if any of going out of the house, I would say if any of y'all y'all know, Vince loves good customer service. Yes. (laughs) I will. The answer is, I would say, I would say, fairway, just because of selection. I think, yeah, fairway. I I agree with that. Seamless web. (laughs) I live on seamless. Yeah, that's fair. Yes, but that being said, I West Side Market. If I had to choose one. Just because Trader Joe's is closer to me, but I hate the line. See, I'm older than all of you, and I don't like Seamless Web. I have a stack of m- menus from my neighborhood, Are whatever, you serious? and I call uh, each of these places cow. individually. Oh no, goodness. that's how you, you do it. Can you take a picture it. of that on yeah. Instagram? <laughs> oh, my God. It's funny that you love Instacart, but then you're against using something like Seamless. <laughs> right? I think it's, you, you, it's the habit. You're used to calling them and talking to the person. Well, well, here's the thing, because when you use Seamless, it's very overwhelming, and it's very crazy, and so yeah. if I feel like this or that Italian or, or whatever, I'm going to go to that, that that Italian restaurant that delivers to me anyway. Or if I feel like a diner hamburger, I'm going to call the diner. So why do I need Seamless to go get me that? You know, why do you need a broker? Wait, but what about the new? You don't have to give them your address again. You don't have to give them their credit card information. Like, no, they know me. They ask me for my phone number and they say, oh, hi, Mr. Rocco. How are you? What are you having tonight? That's what I like. That's Hold on. What about the new X Factor that we're not talking about? What? 
Tarjay is opening on oh, the Upper I East love, and in Hell's Kitchen. That's going to be a game Tar- changer. I love Target. By where mm-hmm. I live, I have a Target and a Trader Joe's in the same building. I'm in downtown Brooklyn. That's incredible. So between oh, those okay. and the 24-hour organic uh, grocery store that's less than a block away and Amazing. two other regular grocery stores, oh. we're kind of set. Like uh, we've got. Yes. That's fantastic. Okay, so the the, the verdict on that was Fairway, and I would agree with that because I think Fairway is the best. All right, getting out of Brooklyn, getting out of Manhattan, let's go to New Jersey City. So Jersey City is rising its profile as an alternative to New York City given its closeness to the Big Apple and more reasonable prices. New buildings like 99 Hudson offer luxury uh, living at a fraction of the cost, yet some say Jersey City could easily go by the way of Brooklyn, which itself was an alternative to Manhattan, and now it's the booming it of, of, I mean, Brooklyn is incredible, but will this happen to Jersey City? I mean, that's really the operative. I think that if you look at the progression of the last few years of not only Jersey City, but Hoboken, um, you know, there's a lot of productivity and there's a lot of positiveness along with those neighborhoods. People really love, a lot of people I went to college with who live in those areas love that there's, you know, this historic section, yet there's also the new section. Like, I think it has everything that it needs to become something. Um, I remember when it was so gritty you didn't want to get out of the car. I remember when the only thing there was the Goldman Sachs building. I remember looking at it and it was like this cool square building. Yeah, I mean, I think the only downside to it is the path. You know, I find that people don't love the path that it has a lot of issues, but, you know, maybe when the L shuts down, the path will be the new L. I mean, you never know. Things well, change quickly. But we're not licensed. Is anyone here licensed for Jersey? We're not licensed. No, so we're not no. even reciprocal no. with Jersey. So That we doesn't mean do we can't have an face. opinion on it. <laughs> also, no New York City taxes, by the way. Yeah. That's, That's a big one. Yeah. I mean, right. you mentioned something about salt and cost of carry. I mean, if you look at, you know, um, interest rates going up 100 bips, salt going away, the cap on everything, and then you look at New York City taxes, the cost of homeownership has gone up significantly recently. No one's really talking about the numbers. Mm-hmm. So three or four percent on your income is meaningful, and I'm having buyers saying, I don't know, maybe I should yeah. look at Jersey. If you're in Jersey, though, you have to pay Jersey taxes, and if you work in the city, you're still going to pay city taxes here. Yeah. It's just that some of the yeah. taxation may be different, but you're you're not running away from the taxes entirely. I think you get it down though. You, yeah, so, was, I think one of the things if we, if we talk about the hard number versus the percentage of increase, one of the opportunities in New Jersey or in Jersey City is to see a, an increasing percentage because it has been a little bit more rundown. So I think there's more opportunity to see big growth. So a lot of more depressed areas, if that gets some of the growth and development, then all of a sudden those neighborhoods will grow on a percentage point. I Brilliantly think, said. Pretty, yeah. pretty yes. quickly. And I think what Ari was trying to say is that the taxes in that area of Jersey are very low. Yes, like right. that, like you have yeah. areas of Jersey like Summit and Alpine right. that have enormous, you know, taxes that are ridiculous. Like, Westchester. like Westchester. Yeah, Westchester. but this is low. I mean, there is there's nowhere in New York City that I know that is right. that low. Maybe Woodside. I mean, so it's a good opportunity. And people are getting priced out of Brooklyn. I mean, we all yeah, are like, true. we're just so, you know, as brokers, we're so just accustomed to the prices we see. $800,000 is a lot of money for a one bedroom apartment. We've all forgotten that, but it's a lot of money. And so you can go to Jersey City, you can go to Woodside or wherever, and you can buy a two-bedroom for that price. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, we have a couple of minutes left here, and there's one minute left in the segment, but so you're right, Ari. So, you know, that's a lot of money for a one-bedroom apartment. You might be able to get it cheaper in Jersey City and still have a nice lifestyle. But are customers of yours asking, buyers of yours asking 
for you to help them with alternatives like Jersey City because of that price point. I get Brooklyn and Queens. I don't get Well, but Brooklyn is, Brooklyn is is up here. I no, mean, they're I know. not, you oh, know. I'm saying Queens. I'm saying I right. haven't Queens, yet gotten yeah, people. I get that. Story. I if you guys, I haven't gotten people say, oh, I, want to, <laughs> I want you to show me, you know, Queens and Jersey. I, don't, I, wanna, I don't really get that. I, don't, I never, I mean, I never That's get showing. Happen, I never <laughs> get showing requests, but all, all my clients always, you know, um, ask my opinion <laughs> about different things. Like, I, I got asked the other day what I think about Dallas, like areas of Dallas. I don't know. I mean, I mean, a lot of clients, like, yeah, like, like once you, I always, tall glass buildings. I mean, once your clients really like you and trust you and trust your knowledge, I always find that they'll ask you about whatever it is, if it has to do with real estate. All right. We are out of time. Unfortunately, that's it for me today. That's our show. Thanks to John Harrison, our guest from CORE today, (laughs) all my panel as usual until next time, be kind to one another. Always remember how wonderful life is while you are in the world. Thank you, Elton and Bernie for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 